So just don't hop into an S corp. <laughs> if you got anything out of this one, it's just don't hop into an S corp. I'm Jamie O'Kane, CPA, small business advanced tax planning and compliance extraordinaire. And this is the Abundant Beans Podcast, the podcast that takes my love for learning what makes people tick while digging into the good, bad, and ugly of small business ownership. We strive to give you the insight that only those in the trenches of being and working with entrepreneurs can provide. Today, we're going to welcome to the podcast my friend Juan Montez. Um, Juan is the owner-operator of thetaxproblem.com. Um, and he earned his BS in accountancy a lot and has a law degree and he is licensed enrolled agent, is an NTPI fellow. I don't even know what that means. What does that mean? The National Tax Practice, Practice Institute. Oh, okay. National Association of Enrolled Agents, the representation, um, three level representation courses. I think it was something like 80 continuing education hours or so. Oh, I didn't know what that meant. And has 15 years experience as a tax professional. Juan has been quoted numerous times in the San Francisco Chronicle, US News and World Report and other national publications. He has successfully defended audits before the IRS, uh, the California Franchise Tax Board, California Department of Tax and Fee Administration. There's so many words. <laughs> and Employment Development Department in California and has settled millions of dollars in tax debt with federal and state agencies. Welcome, my friend. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. For... So believe it or not, that California Department of Tax and Fee Administration is their version of simplifying what they were doing. <laughs> Yeah, they never, they never actually. I think that kind of sets the tone to why there are so many tax problems, right? Like, right. you can't even say the name of the organization, and um, and that's that's their way of uh, streamlining and simplifying. Yeah, I think, you know, small business owners, and I mean, even I am like, oh wait, I forgot about that one, right? Like, every state, especially you know, every state has their own. Um, but there's just so many different kinds of like taxes and fees. And I had a client send me um, something from their county the other day. So here in Colorado, we have personal property tax for businesses. I don't know if California does that also. So each county taxes the assets in your business every year, <laughs> right? Yeah. And she's like, is this legit? And I'm like, yep. And she's like, and I'm like, I know we're just going to roll with it. <laughs> like this is just the way this works. Um, all right. Yeah, about, about three years ago, I put together, um, I was just curious to count up the taxes. And, and what I did is I put together a, a list of taxes that are either paid for by a sole proprietor. So I didn't even go into the corporate side of things, just a sole proprietor with one employee mm -hmm. and between all the various taxes there were 14 different taxes that have to be either paid for by the small business or at the very minimum accounted for and turned over like sales tax, for example, or use tax. and 14 different ones. Like it's insane. Is that and, just California? You know, I think most of these actually apply everywhere. Probably. So I would say the majority of the country. Um, and of course, sales tax wouldn't apply where there, wherever there aren't sales tax, but it was like payroll tax, you know, social security, Medicare, uh, federal, state, Buddha, Suda, ETT, you know, unemployment insurance, Suda, Buddha, yeah, like you start adding them up and it's 14 different taxes. And, yeah. and the other thing that brings to mind is like, you know, what you were mentioning, I just had a conversation with a, a brand new business owner last week. And 
it that conversation reminded me of of how much we take for granted you know the, you know what we do so we think all this stuff is common sense mm -hmm. but i mean he literally like we had to discuss at, from you need to go get a business license you need a DBA if you want to open a bank account under your business name. You need a bank account. Like that <laughs> level. And we spent an hour on the phone and it just didn't feel like we we got very far. So mm -hmm. definitely he walked away with a ton of checklists and a lot of to-dos, but but it's really easy to have a tax problem. It is really easy to have a tax problem. You remind me of an email I was reading yesterday where someone was like, yeah, I need to run payroll for my S-Corp this year. And I'm like, you have 15 days. <laughs> They're like, I'll just run it in QEO. I'm like, do you even know what needs to happen with that? Like, do you know you need SUDA? Do you know you need to register with Colorado to get your withholding? Like that stuff takes time too. Like you have to wait for those numbers, like for your numbers to come. And it's just like, I, this is why I don't recommend people do their own payroll, A, because there's just so many, like you're saying like the 14 taxes, that each, each of those is a compliance piece that people miss a lot of the time. Um, and they just don't know about it, right? So sending yourself in QBO payroll or whatever doesn't mean you're gonna actually get all the compliance pieces. I was reviewing some books from, um, from a potential client and I was like, there's no Colorado withholding on here. And they're like, oh. And I was like, why are you doing this yourself? Like. <laughs> can we not with the payroll taxes <laughs> and we'll talk about payroll taxes in a minute because um i want to talk about how serious those are um here but let's uh let's, let's begin with the beginning so uh what was your first job my first job mm -hmm. was at a uh wild pair shoe store in the mall <laughs> It was uh, uh, primarily a women's shoe store. I think 80% of the shoes were, were women styled mm -hmm. a little bit in the men's section. And I was 16 years old when I was started there. And uh, it's so funny. I love how people, um, a lot of people are like, yep, when I was 16, it's like the day we got cars, <laughs> like the day we could drive. I know most people we're like your pet, the, our parents were just like, here's a car. Now you must pay for gas and insurance and absolutely everything. And we're all like, okay, we're just gonna go get jobs. <laughs> yeah, part-time gig, you get out of uh, track practice or cross country or whatever sport it was, and run over. And, you know, still stinky, but you have to get to work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would. Uh, I did childcare at our local oh. rec center, um, and I worked mostly weekends because I had basketball um, you know, the, during the week. So, um, yeah, I did. That was my first like real, like W2 job. Um, but yeah. And then I had a baby brother at the time. So I just take him with me all the time. <laughs> my stepmom would be like, okay, take him with you. And I'm like, okay. And he just play with the other kids. <laughs> um, all right. So give us the rundown on your career journey. How did you get here? Uh, I think it's kind of one, we hear a lot that people kind of fell into their industry by accident. And, and that's kind of what happened with me. I, I was running a small business in my early 20s. And I, I actually had a daughter, got married, and um, I was working full time and going to college in the evenings. And at, I was so anyway, my job was I was running an auto body repair shop. And 
you know, when I started there, I wasn't running it, but I'd grown up around cars. You know, my my uncles and stuff owned had on owned shops ever since I was a kid. So I've been wrenching on cars my whole life. And by the time I was 24, I was running the the entire shop and I had something like 28, 29, 30 guys reporting to me. And, and then I would report to the owner who would come in once or twice a week. And the, the, so I studied business administration and at San Jose state where I went, they had eight different um, career paths in the business department, like HR management, operations management, uh, all kinds of different ones. And I focused on accounting accountancy because for whatever reason, I realized you needed to have a tangible skill that you can sell in some way. And I felt like if I have a, you know, HR degree, not, not saying anything negative about anybody in that field, it's a legitimate field, mm -hmm. but the way I viewed things at that time, I felt like, Hey, as you know, knowing accounting is going to help me understand businesses and things like that. Mm -hmm. So as I'm taking these accounting classes, I go home and, and I ask my parents, Hey, let me take a look at your tax return. You know, I'd learned about schedule A. That was an expert, right? And I'm looking at their schedule A and there's a bunch of stuff missing that I knew they had. <laughs> so then uh, I asked other people in the family who were going to the same preparer they were using mm -hmm. and, and there were the same problems there, right? So I was like, hey, you know, these returns aren't right. They're leaving money on the table. So then I did some research on what I needed to do to be able to prepare a tax return for someone. And in California, you need that 60 hour class and register with CTEC. Mm -hmm. So I took that 60 hour class, I registered with CTEC and I started preparing my return, my parents return. And then, you know, like aunts and uncles say, Hey, you, can you prepare our return? And it just kind of started like that friends, family, and, and just the basic ones, right? Like anybody who, who I wouldn't touch a schedule C for example, or a schedule E because I had no idea how to do that. And just from there, you know, again, I had my full-time job. I graduated from San Jose state. And then I went to go work in corporate America. I was an analyst there and, and that got me a lot of really cool training and exposure and travel and everything else. And all on the same time, I continued to, to grow as a, as a tax pro that, at that time was still on the side. Then I, I went to law school and, and it kind of came full circle because, you know, nobody ever thinks of a tax person as practicing law, which, you know, we're not attorneys, mm. but digesting the tax code is exactly what lawyers do on a daily basis and in, in whatever area of law they work in. Mm -hmm. So once I, I started getting through law school, I just really got a lot better at like researching the issues and, and how to read the code and understanding how to read a case and understanding the case law and all that kind of thing. And I became an enrolled agent. And since 2012, it was full-time uh, tax pro. And that's what I've done now full time for the last eight years. But I think the first season I prepared returns was like around 2005 or six ish, right around there. Mm -hmm. so, so by, by accident, you know, somebody made a mistake <laughs> on my parents' return, and I'm like, let me fix it. <laughs> I love it. Um, that's kind of how I fell into accounting. Uh, I yeah, I was like, um, I don't know business. <laughs> I should probably pick a major. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I went to my accounting class and I was like, oh, okay, this is the thing that makes sense, right? Like, this is what my brain was built for. <laughs> um, you know, and tax was something I just kind of fell into. I was, um, I was kind of, I ended up being a default tax manager in a firm that I worked in. And, you know, I just found that like the solving of the puzzles 
with accounting and tax is what's what I'm really good at, you know, because there's so many moving pieces. And I always say every tax return is its own little special snowflake because every situation is different. You cannot compare your tax situation to the person next door. You can't compare it to, you know, your partner who's a 50-50 partner. And also like there, it's different. It's always going to be different. No tax returns are the same. And there's so many moving pieces that we can work with within the law that is fun. Like that's the fun stuff is, you know, all those moving pieces. Um, so let's talk about the difference because I don't generally have a lot of tax people on here, but this is really fun. <laughs> this is fun for me. Hopefully this episode goes well. So let's talk about the difference between an EA and a CPA, because I know that CPA is kind of the, what is it, the default like, or people are always like, you need a CPA, but it's like, do you really need a CPA? So let's talk about the difference between those things or those designations um, and kind of kind of how we're different, I think is important for people. Okay, so, so I, you know, I think everyone you ask is going to give you a little bit of a different opinion, but I like mm -hmm. to just take, you know, what, what does it really mean? And big picture is there's, there's a, uh, we can all prepare tax returns, right? Mm -hmm. Now, so, some CPAs, and then you know this better than I do, mm -hmm. there are a lot of CPAs who work in either Fortune 5 company, 500 companies or corporate America or larger type companies where they don't get anywhere near taxation. It's all about the accounting and those regulations. Mm -hmm. And then for EAs, pretty much every single EA's focus is preparing tax returns. And there are some EAs who don't know what a debit and a credit is because there is nowhere in the training of becoming an enrolled agent do you learn actual accounting. And, and accounting is, true accounting is, as you well know, is the debits and credits and balance books, you know, balance sheet, trial balance, financial statements, all of that good stuff. And, but I guess for the consumer, if what they need is a return prepared and, and some tax planning, and it really comes down to the experience, you know, is the pro you're working with experience in that area and maybe even the field that you're in, because that can be very important as well. Like, for example, real estate investors, if you're working with a tax pro who's not familiar with real estate investors, whether they be an EA, CPA or unenrolled prepare, they're probably not going to give you the biggest benefit. But from a licensure perspective, we we can do 95 percent of the same things i think for the most part eas can't do like audited financials or attestation work but other than that everything else we do is is we can do the same things but what the the code has something like seventy thousand pages so you know you could have two people with the same credential and do completely different kind of work and you know, forensic accounting or some crazy thing. Yeah. yeah. So CPAs are taught, we're taught, um, we're taught the uh, financial piece. So gap financials, FASB, like all of that. Um, you know, some, so some people just do that. Some people work in trust, some people work in corporate, some people, I mean, CPAs really kind of have a very broad base of potential ways we could go or different verticals um you know some of them are trustees like you could be pretty much you know there's a lot of financial options or like a lot of options that aren't taxes for a cpa um so but eas are regulated by the by the irs right yep 
and then your CPAs are going to be, yeah, and then the CPAs are regulated by their individual state boards. So that's one of the bigger differences I think we see as well with that. Uh, so let's talk tax representation. So this is what one focuses on. His um, purchase is mostly representation, right? And then you do your family's tax returns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fa uh, representation, family's tax returns, and even family's tax problems, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I do friends and family anymore. I'm just like, nope. <laughs> but yeah, no, tax representation. I mean, it's, um, it's insane. I mean, the the stories that, that we hear, I mean, people think tax and, and sometimes it can be, you know, run of the mill type stuff, but some of these, like, I've had cases that are really wild. I had one where there was like a whole murder suicide and I'm over here talking to homicide detectives out of Tucson, Arizona. Like it was insane. And um, I guess, I'll, you know, a little bit about that case is a gentleman comes to me, he, he, uh, was no longer living with his wife. They were still legally married, but they weren't uh, a couple anymore. And she'd moved to Phoenix, or not Phoenix, somewhere in Arizona. And she developed uh, a drug problem. She had a new relationship, had a baby. And during that process, she'd filed returns jointly with my client without his knowledge or consent and then there was an audit that resulted in in a huge liability and now he was on the hook for it because again these were jointly filed returns so as far as irs concerned was he was on the hook for it and then you know the, the really sad part of the story was her new partner um they were both on drugs they'd had a baby together one day she comes home and as she pulls into the driveway, this new partner comes out, doesn't, didn't even wait for her to get out of the vehicle. I guess not that it mattered, mm -hmm. but literally point blank shot her, shot their six month old son, oh and then turned the gun on himself. Oh my God. So, so all three of them passed. And then, um, so what we did for my client was the uh, innocent spouse. Mm -hmm. And that's what required all of these conversations, again, with like homicide detectives and you know, copies of articles from the newspaper to explain so the story. So these were all very like fraudulent returns, probably with large refunds. Yeah. yeah. And then we, we won. I mean, he, he, he was debt free, but, but that case was pretty, pretty interesting. Jeez. Um, that's, I mean, time, effort, money to even to just say this isn't my debt yeah yeah and and there is no no simple process with the irs i mean unfortunately people just trying to make a phone call especially now with the all of the issues the entire world has seen with the pandemic i mean even before the pandemic it was nearly impossible to get through to the irs i mean someone could miss half a day of work and get courtesy disconnects Two or three times and, and have to miss a whole nother day with the work just to then not even really know what to ask the person on the phone or getting correct info and and it just becomes this impossible burden on how to clean something up that should be pretty straightforward yeah i i had a client that i needed um that i had to call for and i couldn't even get through on prepare on prepare line so i would i like tried like four or five times. <laughs> I was like, I can't get through. I don't know. I'll keep trying. But 
who has that much time? Like I rarely have like a two hour block to sit on the phone, you know, like I've got other stuff I'm doing or I need to go do something. So it, it is, it's a huge burden. Um, but let's talk about some of the top reasons you were engaged to help a tax preparer or the taxpayer. What are the, you know, what are the big things that we see that you're seeing like with issues and things like that? I would say the, the number one thing are people who are maybe first time business owners and they don't get the right help pretty early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what that can look like is maybe they didn't have someone do their bookkeeping or, or they did it themselves and, and made some, you know, a lot of mistakes. Run their own payroll. Uh, another, <laughs> yeah. And then the whole payroll tax situation, right? So a big one is as whether it be personal income tax that you have to pay as you go mm-hmm. or withholding those payroll taxes that also need to be turned over to Uncle Sam. Mm-hmm. People don't do that they, either because they didn't know or they couldn't afford it. And then all of a sudden uh, tax return time comes and they don't have the money to pay the tax bill. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's another huge one. Another big one is if someone is audited and the result is um, a huge liability, then then they need some help on figuring out how to sort that out. Mm-hmm. And but the majority, by and large, are self-employed individuals because there there's just so much responsibility. You are, you know, whether you do something as simple as driving for Uber or DoorDash, or you run this big manufacturing company. If you're a sole proprietor, you're you know one is going to require have a lot more numbers on it. But at the end of the day, they're they're both going to be a Schedule C, mm-hmm. and it's really easy to to make a, a lot of mistakes, not send in estimated payments, things like that, and and it gets people in hot water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, I think people start business not really understanding that, um, and I I, you, you, I think we were talking earlier, like it's something we take for granted because we just kind of understand how this stuff works, but it's so easy to miss compliance issues or, you know, compliance points on that stuff. And then I find people just don't file, (laughs) you know, like they just kind of get to the point where they're just like, I don't really know what to do with this. So I'm just not going to, um, which makes sense, you know, that's a choice. Uh, it's a valid choice. Um, but then we're ending up, you know, with all this, you know, we're timing out on carryovers or like, there's just a lot of, there's a lot of things you might miss if you don't file, um, like PPP loans, like pandemic assistance. (laughs) And and not just that, like, let me give an example. This week I spoke to a gentleman who's a heating and air contractor. Mm -hmm. And in California, you have to have a contractor's license to do that kind of work. He started his business in 2015. And at the time, couldn't afford uh, to have an accountant or, or someone to, to work with him. Mm-hmm. And so he did nothing. And he did exactly what you just said. He just didn't file because he knew he couldn't pay the tax bill. He didn't know what the tax bill would be. Or or even if, if there was a tax bill, he just didn't do it because of that fear and of the unknown and, and he knew he couldn't afford it even if there was a, a bill, right? Mm-hmm. Fast forward to today, he still hasn't filed a tax return at all in any of those years. And in California, if the franchise tax board notifies the board of, of uh, the contractor's licensing board, you could lose your contractor's license. Like it can get pulled and and 
those are the kinds of things now he's having to deal with. Now he's under pressure because they're going to yank his contractor's license because returns have never been filed. Mm-hmm. And it started out with what you just said. You know, he kind of threw his hands up. I can't afford it. Put the blinders on. Didn't do anything about it. And here we are five years later. And, and now he's on the brink of losing his contractor's license. And so he's on, yeah, so he's on the brink of not being able to make money to feed his family because he didn't file his tax returns. Right. And, and these are kind of best case scenarios, right? I mean, prosecutions and all of that stuff is rare, but technically all of you know, all of that is is uh, another danger that's on a more serious level, which we don't get involved with as non-attorneys, mm-hmm. but that's, uh, you know, yeah, on the brink yeah. of not being able to feed his family. Yeah, it's crazy. I just, I don't know. It's hard. It's a hard, it's a hard thing because a lot of people don't understand it, right? Like they just don't understand what needs to happen or what's going to cost or what, you know, what we're going to do and why it's of a benefit to them to file on time you know, until it becomes, I always say there's, there's no tax emergencies. (laughs) That might be a tax emergency. It's just like, I'm about to lose my entire business because I haven't filed. Um, And it's just so important to not get in that spot, right? I always say it's better to file and not pay than it is to not file. Yeah, that's true. And, and, you know, another example, I have a client that I've been, uh, they're now in a payment plan and they've been doing well for the last three years, roughly. Mm -hmm. But when I met them first, right around 2014, and they had about half a million dollars in tax debt, high income earners. So they didn't qualify for like OIC or or any of that, those forgiveness programs that, that we hear about. But the reason I bring them up is the debt is roughly half a million dollars and about 150 of that was just penalties and interest. So Ouch. had things been done as they they were due, they would have been saved 150,000 bucks. I mean, that's a huge amount of the overall debt. And uh, again, it just snowballed. Yeah, and you can't, you know, there's, the IRS does not like to abate the penalties. Yeah, you need a really good reason for that. And, and for them, they, they they just didn't get around to it. And uh, so, yeah. No, yeah. No Ugh. Yikes. Um, so what are the, um, so what are some of the biggest concerns you're, um, you're seeing with the pandemic and people's tax situations? What is tax season 2020 going to look like for us? <laughs> you, you know, I guess it, it's falling right in line with when you ask me what are, what's the big reason people get in hot water. Mm-hmm. One thing I've been hearing a lot lately, especially because we are at the end of the year, people, self-employed people already know that they've got a tax bill that's coming and they also know they might not be able to pay it. Mm -hmm. So in 2020, I think because a lot of industries, revenues have been lower across the board, they've had to really make difficult decisions on what they've chosen to pay and what they've chosen to not pay. And what I'm seeing is a lot of people have chosen not to pay the estimated taxes, which means whenever that next return is due, there, there are going to be some pretty high balances and people aren't going to be able to make those payments. And, uh, you know, add to that, the IRS is putting more resources into compliance and, and enforcement. So it's it's kind of like this perfect storm brewing almost where you're going to have a lot of people who are going to be 
I mean, like, um, a lot of people who are going to owe money and at the same time, the IRS is going to start coming after people. And I think that's, that's one of the big things I see in 2020. The other potential thing is where a lot of business owners were able to get PPP loans. And there's currently a bill in Congress to make the, uh, the uh, forgiven expenses still deductible, but under current laws, you know, they're not deductible. So another way of saying that is those PPP loans are taxable income. It's, it's really just another more same way to say it. I know, everybody's like, it's not deductible. I'm like, eh, semantics. It's pretty much, it's pretty much income. Yeah, it's just income is what it turns out to be. If the deduction is not available, mm-hmm. and what you've got is income. And um, and so that that is going to be a problem. You know, I have a, one client who's a, a restaurant and they've got, they had significant um, amount of PPP funds. And then, you know, recently here in, here in California, they closed outdoor dining about two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And they were finally starting to to do a little better when, when they were able to at least serve some clients outside that much reduced capacity, but, but something's better than nothing. And then now they've been forced to go back to takeout only. And, you know, currently the order's through the 4th of January, but if doesn't look like the numbers are really trending in the right direction. So all, you know, they'll just extend that date. And yeah, it's so. hard. I was actually just sending my, my husband a link and I was like, look, our favorite Mexican restaurant now has a food truck. <laughs> and I was like, maybe they could do online ordering because you have to call and wait uh-huh. and call and wait and call and wait. And I was like, maybe they could figure out online ordering instead of buying a food truck. But apparently we're doing a food truck too, but I'm happy. <laughs> That place. Yeah, food trucks are were well positioned for this pandemic, right? Yes. They never had to worry about indoor dining or outdoor. No, dining. no. The biggest okay. problem too, I'm understanding with the restaurants is um, their supplies. The, their supply costs have gone up a ton. I was talking to one of our clients yesterday who owns a coffee shop. Uh, he's like, "Yeah, our you know thirty dollar box of you know of gloves for food handling are now like one hundred and ten dollars." You know, and then they're like, but we can't really raise prices. I was like, but you kind of have to. I was like, that blasts your margin because restaurants don't have a high margin. You know, that's a hard balance between proper pricing and, you know, your expenses and keeping your margins. Um, They're actually up this year, though, over last year, which blowing my mind. Yeah. Good for them. I'm so happy for them. They actually did. They're doing online ordering. They, I think they did some pickup options. You know, they they really were just like, we're going to institute everything we have to to make sure we can keep the doors open. And that's worked really well for them, thankfully. Um, One thing that I've noticed in, in my clients, uh, at least the service-based businesses that are doing really well, mm-hmm. restaurants included, are the ones that have a really great social media presence Mm. they seem to just continue to get that foot traffic because they're 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 always in the public eye i guess is is another way to say it Mm -hmm. yeah this coffee i follow this coffee shop on instagram and they've always they post their yummy stuff like every single day and i'm just like if you were closer i'd be 400 pounds (laughs) (laughs) um unemployment is going to be another issue for a lot of people a lot of people who took unemployment um, even if they got taxes taken out, you probably didn't have enough taxes taken out. So that's going to be a good, big surprise for people as well. I think this tax season. Yeah, absolutely. Again, you know, for, for uh, most people, unemployment, they choose to not have withholdings. And 
it'll it will be taxable income and you add that to whatever other income you did have mm-hmm. and you're going to be significantly over the the standard deduction figures which leads to a tax bill and and it, it kind of goes back to estimated payments right people aren't aren't thinking of that but unemployment is taxable income at the federal level i think i know california it is and at the state level and i think probably most states but but at the federal level which is where the rates are higher anyway it, it will be taxable income and and maybe credits that people have won't be offsetting that tax bill Oof. or more hardship on top of hardship yeah um i guess that's another thing to discuss is you know, the PPP loans and, you know, these unemployments and all of that is going to make people, especially we can't just just deduct those, the expenses, um, you know, with those PPP loans that those covered, it's going to put them over for um, the PTC for the premium tax credits. It's going to put them over for, you know, all the potential credits as well. So not only are they just missing that tax percentage, potentially they're missing the credits that go along with, you know, what their, what their brackets have been in the prior years. Um, that's a huge concern. Yeah, they really need to work with someone who's going to, who understands this stuff, because, you know, let me give you an example. This, this tax season, I had a client, someone call me and, and the reason they called is they'd always prepared to return on TurboTax, but all of a sudden they had like a $15,000 tax bill. Mm-hmm. And the reason what happened is they were, a tiny bit over the 400% poverty limits, federal poverty limits, which triggered full repayment of the health insurance credit mm-hmm. subsidy. And, you know, once we looked at everything, I was like, okay, this is a simple solution. You know, do you have 3000 bucks? Yes. Put into a retirement account and get into the threshold and it saves you $15,000. Isn't it crazy? But you and have it, to understand how that works. Yeah. And, and what's insane is, is she, you know, I never get clients off of Yelp just mm-hmm. because for whatever reason, it just, that's not my client base, right? I and the, uh, she told me that she talked to like six people before she talked to me. She says, you're the first person to even mention something like that. And it's like, well, I guess, you know, lucky you that you called uh, the right place. And, and she ended up um, coming in, prepared to return, saved her 15 grand. That's crazy. Well, and I think, you know, what's so important, and you know, we do this with all of our clients is, tax projections every single year. You know, we build it into our fees with our clients because I don't want you surprised. Like I want to know what's going on my year because if we have to do that, I want to let you know we have to do that. But again, there's just so many moving pieces that the layman just doesn't understand, right? Like, okay, so you're 400, you know, you're over that poverty, right? You can't have, you have to pay back all those premium tax credits or those, you know, that you got already. You have to pay all that back. Well, you could just put three thousand dollars in your IRA and not have to pay fifteen thousand dollars. That's a pretty good ROI, you know. But people just don't like. How would they know to do that, you know? And that's part of a part of our puzzle piece brains that you know just we just understand how the pieces fit together, you know. Yeah, you have to Google your way through these things because one one fact changes and and the way all these things work together changes. Mm-hmm. So it. it yeah, it's a puzzle. And the way I tell people, it's, you know, imagine a thousand piece puzzle. Remember back in the 80s when puzzles, puzzles were cool? Well, puzzles okay. are cool now. You can't order them anymore. Everybody got them during the pandemic. Laying that those thousand pieces on the table. And, and the closer you got, I mean, at about 
three, 400 pieces, you could start to see what this thing looks like, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the closer you got to a thousand, the, the better the picture looked. And that's the way I describe tax to people. Like, these are puzzle pieces. We need to start putting them together. And, and that picture, what that looks like, it's really driven by you based on what your goals and objectives are. And then whatever the facts and circumstances are to, to your situation or your business or your tax problem, whatever it is. And, and that's how we, we work and uh, help. Right. So it's always funny to me because people are like, yeah, we just do S-Corps at 40,000 in net income. S-Corps are, you know, this S-Corps are one of my like soapboxes because what are you doing? <laughs> like, this is not a one size fits all. This is not a solution. If you're not going to continue to make this money, like it's just not, it's a lot of compliance potentially. Um, and throwing people into S-Corps for no good reason, um, it just, it doesn't work. And it's, again, based on, that's one piece of that thousand piece puzzle potentially, right? So are you going to close this thing down next year? Why would we make you an S-Corp? Yeah. To anyone, anyone watching this, if anybody tells you become an S-Corp to save money, that comment alone is a red flag. There's a guy here in town who doesn't know what a balance sheet is. He's a tax pro, and and, unfor and unfortunately or fortunately, I don't know. He, he's a tax professional, has an office, prepares thousands of tax returns, and he was holding these seminars where he'd pack 40, 50, 60 people into these seminars, and he was making every single one of these business owners uh, an escort. And like I said, the guy doesn't know what a balance sheet is, so if you don't know what that is, there's or no what way. cash flow looks like. Prepare a tax return, and, and like you said, there is no like magic number that you can just say, oh, if you're here, you, you become an escort. And it, uh, the disservice that is, is astonishing. But astonishing. Those people, will, those people will all have tax problems. They will all have tax problems because you know why? Because they're not all paying reasonable compensation and they're yeah. doing yearly payroll. And the IRS has said reasonable comp is one of their audit items ever since QBI. Mm-hmm. Because it affects that deduction. It affects other puzzle pieces now, even more than it did before. Mm -hmm. You can't mess with this stuff. No. Um, and it's just, you get a lot more fees if you prepare more returns for people. <laughs> I mean, let's be 100%. The reason that guy has his, puts all these people in S-Corps is so he can get the fees to pay the, to, to file those returns. That's how he makes his money. Right? Yeah I, yeah, I think I feel like nine out of 10 people I've ever talked to when it comes to S-Corp, I've talked them out of it because they heard of it probably on YouTube mm -hmm. somewhere and that just doesn't fit their situation. I mean, it's, okay. it's not, it's not, the purpose of S-Corp is not to save money because the, the money you think you're saving is Social Security and Medicare, which if you're not truly funding your retirement, you're, you, it's going to cost you more down the road when, when your Social Security payout is next to zero yeah i mean and let's just i just kind of want to just hash this out real fast and we'll get you out of here but if you are in an s corp to take a minimum salary to take the minimal salary you can find but you want to put money into retirement you can't do that you can't maximize your retirement and take a minimal salary those things don't work together nope. so yeah. if your goal is 
I want to suck as much money as possible into my pre-tax and post-tax retirement accounts, taking a $48,000 salary, which seems to be the magic number for some reason, I don't know why, um, isn't going to get you there. Yeah, because what they think they're saving in Social Security and Medicare is, is you're just hurting your future self. Right. And that's probably part of the reason Social Security is so underfunded. <laughs> <laughs> All these people taking unreasonable salary. Um, again, favors out box. I have a few of them. <laughs> but, you know, in my experience, people just become S-Corps, not understanding, they don't understand that they pay themselves a salary. And then they don't have the cash flow to do that on a regular basis, right? And they're, I had one who took credit card, like took an advance on his credit card to pay his payroll. And I was like, this makes no sense. Can we please <laughs> do the S-Corp? Which is the whole thing as well. Like, that's one of those things that, yeah, I mean, we can change entities. It's a thing. We can do those things, but it has to make sense. And it's going to cost you to get this done right. Um, so just don't hop into an S-Corp. <laughs> if you got anything out of this one, it's just don't hop into an S-Corp. Um, what are to somebody who, who clearly is qualified, they're going to have a professional keep their books because mm -hmm. the books need to be right for an S-Corp. Mm -hmm. It's going to be payroll. And for all of everyone in California, you get that minimum franchise fee of 800 bucks per year. And if revenues are high, it could be even, you know, it could be thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. um, so your compliance costs are gonna be thousands of dollars per year as well. Mm -hmm. And that's the piece that everybody always forgets to, to, to add about. in. Yeah, and I, I always say, well, the S-Corp would save you this much in taxes, but then we have the cash out for the payroll taxes and for this and for that and the other thing. So yeah, does it save you? Mm, it's close. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's like, well, it's pretty close. If you're really thinking you might grow next year, then let's do it this year if you like, if you're ready to go. Um, but rarely does it save enough to, to, to handle all those compliance pieces in cash wise. Um, so understanding what do I have to pay out as well? Um, you know, what is my tax difference and then what has to happen on the compliance end? Um, that's a huge piece that I think people get missed that get missed, gets missed all the time. Oh, you're just going to save this in tax in federal and maybe the state tax. <laughs> what about social security, Medicare, and you know, all those other taxes, um, and the compliances. Awesome one. Um, before I ask my last question, what is the easiest way for people to find you? Uh, easiest way is one way email, mm -hmm. one at the taxproblem.com. <laughs> the website is the taxproblem.com. And then, you know, on Facebook, same thing. The tax problem is, uh, you know, www.facebook.com forward slash the tax problem. Awesome. And we'll drop and, all those yeah, in there. Super easy. Awesome. I love it. Um, what is the number one piece of advice you give business owner when it comes to tax complaints? Work with a good qualified advisor. You know, just like you don't want to call me if you have a mechanical issue. Mm -hmm. You don't want to call me if you have a dental problem. You don't want to talk to anybody about taxes except a very good qualified tax professional because it's uh, just too easy to, to to make a mistake. Yeah. And I think you get what you paid for. Um, I think that's part of that too, is somebody might seem too expensive, but it's going to be way more expensive on the back end if it's wrong. Mm -hmm. That's where we come in <laughs> or that's where you come in. Cause I'm like, Hey, Juan, 
gut problems over here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> gut problems is not inexpensive, and, and it's uh, mm -mm. it's painful. It's one of those cases where it pays paying to do it right is probably less expensive to paying to get it all fixed. Awesome. Thank you so much, my friend. Thank you. You have a great day. You too. Thank you so much for listening or watching. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube, iTunes, or wherever you prefer to listen. If you learned something and found some useful information to apply to your business today, please consider giving us a thumbs up and a review. Until next week, be abundant.